Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York. Now it's time for Spot on Sports. Here's your host, Mike Trezor and Mike Cadone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Spot on Sports, New York's premier sports talk show where we talk New York sports, all New York sports, and nothing but New York sports. My name is Mike Trezza, the great Michael Anthony flying the plane for us tonight. We've got Giants, Jets, Islanders, Mets, Knicks, and Nets all to get to. Before we do any of that, let me say hi to my co-host, the prodigal son. He's back, the coach, Mike Adone. Trez, always good to be back in the seats. And, uh, you know, as you were mentioning, all those teams that are in action right now, and the minus the Mets, of course, but one of the wonderful things about this time of year is, yes, they're all playing, but no one is out of it at the moment. There's still a lot of hope for the Islanders, the Knicks, the Nets. Uh, you didn't mention the Rangers, but uh, for good reason. No, I'm just kidding. But um, all those teams, you, you can get somewhat excited about. You know, the, we had some big wins, Jets, Giants, um, Nets and Knicks looking sharp. So we're ready to go. Yeah. And before we do any of the uh, basketball or really any of the football, Mike, we've got to get back to the guy who uh, originated the role for us, of uh, beat reporter. Uh, he's back with us for his second season of action. And, of course, he reports on the New York Islanders. Our buddy is Johnny Sticks, John Santa Maria. John, how are you this evening? Great to be back. We got a full 82-game season of hockey. We haven't said that in about three years, so it's nice to uh, say that sentence, Amen. first of all. Yeah, so uh, Sunday night, John, the Islanders just did look a little bit tired coming off their fourth game in three days out in Minnesota. They dropped that game 5-2 to two against the Wild, now 5-3, and three, uh, and two overtime wins uh, two overtime losses to start the season on this very, very long road trip. Well, when you look at this long road trip, it doesn't feel like it's been long because the schedule has been so broken up in their favor. It's like everyone forgets, oh, the Islanders have a game tonight. They went four days before playing in Winnipeg over the weekend, and the trip has been a success. And one thing you like to say in general on with the road schedule, you want to try and stay around the 500 mark. And the Islanders should just about get there by the time they get home. They have three more games to go Thursday in Jersey. And then they have a back-to-back -back in Florida with the Panthers and the Lightning. That won't be an easy trip. But I don't think you could ask for much more. John, you know, we saw the debut of uh, Varlamov the other night coming off uh, a mysterious injury. Uh, there was a lot of speculation on, on what exactly happened, but of course he was out a long time. Um, looked relatively sharp early, gave up, you know, a little, little bit of soft goal there later on. Um, do you see him working into the mix right now, or is it really Sorokin's job going forward? I think with the way the schedule's looking, yes, I would start Sorokin Thursday night at the Devils, but then you have another back-to-back -back next week. So you're going to need two goalies. This is a full season. There is a lot, there's a lot of hockey to be played. You're going to have a lot of back-to-back. -back. So as strong of a goalie tandem as this will be, you want to make sure you have both of them fresh. And also, I think we saw a little bit of rust with Varlamov, which I think was expected. I wasn't too disappointed. It was a 5-2 loss. Minnesota's a very good team. 
A lot of people don't take them so seriously because of some of the other power out on the Western Conference, but they are a good hockey team. They have a lot of young talent. They have a good young goaltender, and they could possibly be a favorite out West. So you're going to lose a game. That's what that's one that's acceptable and a little shaky for Varlamov. That's what happens. He had no training camp, no preseason, no nothing like the rest of the other guys did. Yeah, so we want your comments tonight, folks. Our buddy Lenny, Lenny. who's always in there with good comments. Thanks for commenting us, Lenny. If you guys want to uh, direct your comments to Johnny Sticks, I'm sure he'll be more than glad uh, to address what what questions, what concerns you have. You referenced the back-to-back, though, John. Uh, That is Tampa and Carolina Monday and Tuesday. So you got the team that the, uh, uh, the last two years has knocked the uh, knocked the Islanders out of the playoffs as well as the team that right now is on top of the conference. So talk about those two games. So let's start with the Florida Panthers. There's been a, as hot as their start has been. One thing that really hasn't been discussed too much is they had to make a coaching change last week because Joel Quinville had to resign. He was involved with the scandal that happened with the Chicago Blackhawks about a decade ago. So Ooh. Andrew Burnett. Andrew Burnett took over on an interim basis, former player in the league. Um, He's been on the staff with the Panthers, so we'll see if they keep it rolling. And then Tampa Bay, yes, we know what the Lightning are, back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, but they're a little bit of a different-looking team this year. They lost some players in the offseason, like everybody did. Lost the, They lost the big, as probably as big piece as Jordan Eberle was going to the Seattle Kraken off their depth, but they were in more of a cap-hole situation compared to the Islanders were. So they had some... Key pieces leave the team. They're off to a little bit of a shaky start, but I think we're going to see really them look maybe a little tired at times throughout the year. They had a couple of long runs and some big breaks in between due to the bubble. And then last year being a short season and condensed. And again, you play the game. This is why you play the games. Our buddy Ray wants to know, will the team have the chance to skate? on home ice before the first game, John. Uh, I was going to talk in a little bit about the home opener on the 20th, but Ray wants to know, are they going to have a chance to practice on that ice before that home opener on the 20th? Barry Trott said last night during the uh, pregame show, yes, they will. They have three days in between that, that Florida trip. They go to Florida, play the Panthers on the Tuesday night. Then they have three days off before the back-to-back with Calgary and Toronto. I will be in attendance at the Toronto game. So next time I come on, the segment should probably be a UBS arena uh, dedication and maybe uh, talk to the guys in the studio, uh, some photos and some things that come from around the arena. I will certainly take pictures, uh, email those, and we could share uh, some pros and cons of what I see around the building. Hopefully not many cons to that brand new uh, building, state of the art and, and, Staying true to the Islander legacy, John. Uh, I wanted to ask you really quick with uh, chemistry. I'm a big chemistry guy when it comes to teams. And you mentioned Jordan Eberle before, you know, his his presence gone now and, and headed out to the West. Um, anything with the team, player specific or style, anything surprise you, number one, in a good way or maybe uh, in a negative way, something to kind of, you know, keep an eye on here as the season progresses? Well, one thing when you look at with the nine forwards out there, what a difference it is to have Anders Lee back. Let's start with him. Yeah, absolutely. And then as far as losing Everly, it essentially wasn't a loss because Kyle Palmieri came back on a contract. And in some ways, Kyle Palmieri is a better overall player. He could do things a little differently. 
Jordan Eberle on a top line was not always uh cons- was not always consistent. And one thing I said when the Kraken took him, he's going to get more exposed than he ever did on the Islanders because teams are going to look at him. He's their best scorer. So little different kind of game. I think Oliver Wallstrom's taken a nice step forward so far this year. Playing with Zach Parise, having him here helps. The one area that I think is still going to take a little bit of time and maybe finding the right pair, the right combination, is that defense pair. And we saw this last year when Noah Dobson was traded. Not Noah Dobson, uh, Devontae's was traded. Right. And Noah Dobson stepped into the role. And now you're seeing it with Nick Letty gone and then putting Zidane O'Chara in the mix. Chemistry's not quite there yet. Char is showing signs of a 44-year-old forward a hockey player in this league. You want to maybe give Sebastian Ajo and Thomas Hickey some chance, some reps too. And you think with more of these back-to-backs, you certainly will, especially now with the home schedule going to come up and then the schedule is going to look a little bit more favorable. You're going to play every other night on a more consistent basis. I would think Barry Trotz is going to give some of those other defensemen chances. And that's where you got, you'll kind of start to see the pairings feel a little bit more comfortable with each other. So really, that's probably the only thing that maybe you've seen a little up and down with the team at the start of the year. Yeah, there was a little little talk out there last week or so about Chara. Does he have everything left in the tank? Is this perhaps, you know, the end of the road for him? Uh, he started, obviously, to play a little bit better. Stats have improved. Uh, but I would agree with you. I, I think you're going to see a little bit of uh, a little bit of change going on. Maybe he sits a day here or there. Um, the one thing that Barry Trotz kept uh, saying in terms of Char is that he's the ultimate professional, and of course you don't you don't get to be in the league that long if you're not a professional. So hopefully it's a matter of uh, you know he gets a little bit of a rest here and there, and he certainly uh, has paid dividends as as this season has progressed. But something to keep an eye on, I would think you would agree. One last point I want to get to with Char, just a little bit of comparison. People over the summer were saying, "Why do this? Why do that?" He's 44 years old. One, he's not being asked to play at the pace the Capitals asked him to do last year. Right. Char is here because the Islanders were in a cap-tight frenzy, and to get him at a veteran's minimum deal with his experience is nothing but beneficial to the team. We know this is probably no more than a one, two-year thing. Same goes for Andy Green. They're just here to help until the cap gets resolved the way the Islanders needed to be so they could go out and improve elsewhere on defense, but Lou Lamorello is the type of general manager. He's not going to pass on veterans like those guys. Comment us, folks. We want your comments this evening. Johnny Sticks now. Chris Caputo in a little while. Uh, basketball. Uh, football still to get to. But I, wa- I did want to ask you, John, about um, Brock Nelson. Uh, he's been on quite a tear lately. He had that four-goal game, another goal last night. Uh, talk about his contributions to this team so far. First off, let's remember the term Brocktober. He loves the month of October. (laughs) But one thing he has done the last couple of years, he's taken Brocktober into every other month of the season. And the day Barry Trotz was hired as head coach of the Islanders, and the way he asked those forwards to play in a team-friendly system, I said this was going to benefit Nelson. And you're seeing him get better and better each year under this system and each game as well. The last thing I wanted to bring up, Johnny, with you was uh, as I'm looking at stats in front of me, you know, there was a lot of talk about plus minus when the team was struggling a little bit and, you know, a couple of wins takes care of all that. But you have Josh Bailey minus four, um, you know, other everybody else is pretty much uh, 
you know, plus or minus Pellick at plus eight. Uh, but the minus four kind of stands out for a guy like Josh Bailey. Uh, you know, six points, a goal, uh, five assists. I, I was looking also at uh, Palmieri, as you mentioned before, no goals, five assists. Wallstrom, five goals, no assists. It's very interesting. Is that just a product of early season right now? Yeah, and again, remember that game in uh, Florida in the early part of the season. This will be the second time the Islanders see the Panthers in the early part of the season when they go back there on Tuesday night Um, because they saw them on the first road trip. That was the trip you were thinking of, Mike Trezza, Carolina, Florida to start the season. Now it's Tampa and Florida. So you would think the Islanders will come in better prepared this time around, and especially a team that is still playing as hot as they did that first week. So. That was just that first week was just a little bit of growing pains. I I think we're all seeing a little bit of better signs of play. And then last night too, you lost by three goals. So really haven't seen too much of that. And it's just a matter of luck of the draw. As long as that doesn't become a more consistent thing. Without catching you off guard, John, really quick, I wanted to ask you about the Rangers. Six, three, and three in the early going, giving up a lot of goals, but um scoring a lot too. Do you think that it's been uh, the coaching change that's significant there, or do you feel it's just uh, a very young group growing up and ready to take that next step? No, I think the coaching change made a big part of it. Gerard Gallant's very good. He's a very good coach. They needed to bring some physicality to that team. And maybe that's where some of the disagreements came from up top with Dolan and JD and Jeff Gorton, why all those guys were showing the door. I thought David Quinn wasn't going to be back Regardless of what happened last year, I did not think above him was going to be gone too. But if you're, we've talked about this for 20 plus years with the Knicks. If you don't agree with Mr. Dolan, you're not going to hold the job. If you're not his best friend, you're not going to hold the job. If Gerard Gallant and Chris Jury, not so much a yes, sir, but if they all buy in and they, and they all play well and James Dolan stays away, look at the other team in Madison Square Garden right now. Yeah, the, no, same, the same could happen with the Rangers, but as long as the boss, as long as the owner stays away, lets the hockey people work. I like Gerard Gallant. The only thing with him is he didn't last more than three years in his last two coaching stops. So you just got to hope two years from now we're not sitting here and saying, oh, he's worn out his walking because of his uh, aggressive coaching style. But maybe you learn third time's the charm. You may not get another opportunity like this again. Yeah, John, uh, we're going to talk to you in a couple weeks, but I'm going to tell you, next time Mike Adone brings up with you Josh Bailey, we're going to have Michael Anthony <laughs> have the Josh Bailey song queued up, and we're going to make you sing it, John. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that plenty of times. I can't wait to do it at UBS. And no, I got to make sure to bring the – we got to share UBS. Next segment's got to be a UBS dedicated oh, segment. Forget well, it. Absolutely, absolutely. That's hey, exciting. we look forward to speaking with you in a couple weeks, Sean. Thanks very much. Great Thanks, job. Johnny. Night, guys. All right, let's go. All right. So, Mike um, – Nice to get our Islander coverage kicked oh. off, but you and I have to. We need to uh, spend a few minutes on yesterday's Giant game. Absolutely. Because I got to tell you, Mike, my wife's been working on Sundays. So I have the, I have the whole oh, place wow. to myself. Yeah. And, uh, no more dogs. Kids away. <laughs> Wife <laughs> so is you're like, you're in the it's war like, room right there. I can really focus in on the Giant. Absolutely. And, and yesterday, I was actually really glad to do so. And – you know, we look at a 23-16 win over the Raiders, and in the last three games, the Giants have given up 
a total of 40 points. Now you're giving up 13 points a game, Mike, and that defense is really starting to get where it needs to get. Right, because what, what's always been the calling card of the New York Giants? The defense. So when you, that's a great point that you brought up, and as a Giant fan or just an NFL football fan, when the Giants are good, when their defense is solid, everything is, is right in the world. So, yeah, it uh, takes a lot of heat off of Daniel Jones. Uh, we're not micromanaging who's on the field and who's not on the offensive side of the ball. That was a real kind of old-school Giant victory yesterday. Absolutely. I mean, the kid, Xavier uh, McKinney, yeah. defensive backfield, uh, defensive back with two picks, two picks, one for a pick six yesterday. I mean, Adoree Jackson, Julian Love, Darnay Holmes – all of these guys in the defensive backfield, Mike, are starting to grow into these roles. Um, Patrick Graham is starting to put together really solid defensive plans going into this game. I mean, to give up 20 points against uh, against the Chiefs in their building is really no big sin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and despite all the, the hardship, unfortunately, that's been going on with the Las Vegas Raiders, um, you know, they have a capability of putting a lot of points up on the board, being a dynamic down the field offense. And the Giants really, uh, you know, held them down. And when the game was on the line, they're driving, it's late in the game. What happens? Big sack, fumble, puts the game away. So that that's what the Giants need to do. And, and Daniel Jones just drove the bus, as we like to say, kept it on the road. Uh, he only targeted the, the wideouts as we were speaking before four times in the entire game. That's incredible. That it, it that's a stat that is almost hard to believe, but according to Newsday, we're right on the money with that. So, uh, yeah, it's only four times. So running the ball, uh, got the job done. Booker, Booker, great job. Yep. Time management and big time plays by the defense. Yeah, and you know, you look at Daniel Jones. You mentioned him. If he can get Galladay, Shepard, Tony, and Barkley. On the field at the same oh my time, gosh. which, you know, we have a bye week coming up. Right. Um, obviously, the Giants are going to be in much better shape, um, you know, offensively coming into sure. these uh, coming into these second half games. Uh, but you mentioned it, Mike. Um, the defensive backfield played well. And just when we needed them to, the defensive line started putting some heat on the quarterback and um, caused that strip sack at the end of the game. You know, Giant fans have underestimated uh, the importance of us getting ahead in some of these games because Absolutely. you look back even to the the recent successful teams. We don't need to go back to LT in that group, but I mean the group of JPP and those guys, yep. we would be ahead and they would just keep coming, knowing that the other team had to throw the ball on exactly. every down. Yeah, and that, that's a dynamic way to play defense. And it, while it it doesn't make the offense flashy and perhaps something that's you know exciting to watch all the time, it makes them efficient. So not a lot of pressure on your quarterback. That's where Eli Manning used to shine. Great player who could make the big play when necessary, but he was he was a master of managing the game. And I think you know Daniel Jones has taken a lot of heat because he's had to play from behind. He's had to do things that he's are not really in his skill set at the moment. They can be from time to time, but when you watch a game like yesterday, that's what's tailor-made for him. 
and and the, the giant defense in, in general. And speaking with a giant buddy of mine yesterday after the game, he was focused on the play that Daniel Jones scrambled out of the pocket, made that little spin move, and picked up five for a first down. I said, that's not the play I want to focus on. I want to focus on the play two plays later where he rolled out to his right side. He realized I'm on the sideline and nobody's open. What did he do? Got rid of it. Tossed it out of bounds. Yep. Like Mahomes would do. Like Tom Brady would do. Like Rodgers would do. And he's learning, Mike. Absolutely. I mean, for Giant fans that still can't see that this kid can play, what are you looking at? I don't. You know what? <laughs> it, it's so funny you say that, Mike, because as you were speaking, I was thinking about that a couple of weeks back we were talking about how, how vanilla the Giant offense was. And is Jason Garrett doing anything to, to get Kadarius Tony involved? You know, is there anything that they can do to put some points on the board and whatever else? And they came out in some different formations yesterday. The, the wing T, I mean, there was all sorts of things out there. But that was just to kind of get, obviously, Las Vegas on their heels early on in the game. But they didn't. They didn't need to do any any crazy stuff later on to win the football game. And what do we do, as Herm Edwards says? We play to win the game. Absolutely. Even at two and six, you play to win yeah. the game. You're not going to toss away the season. No. Even if you had a bad loss to Atlanta, you had a terrible gut-wrenching oh. loss um, to Washington early in the season. Those two, I hope, don't come back to bite you. But you also had... A terrible loss out at KC. Those are the three losses that are really um, that. I mean, listen, the Dallas game, you weren't really in that game. The Rams game, you got blown out of a cannon. Right. But those three games are really going to come back to haunt you. So what I really want to know from Coach Mike Cadone. Uh-oh. Mike Cadone. I'm on the hot seat right here. Okay. <laughs> on November 8th. Yes. Are Mike Adone and Mike Trezor and all Giant fans out there fooling ourselves to think that at three and six, the Giants could get back in this race and be a factor for a wild card this year? Uh, I hate to say it, but I, I think that that's really asking a lot. Oh, yeah, you're I, killing me. I, I know. Well, listen, I got to be, be honest. But And, and that's what's wonderful about this and, and sports in general. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong. But we'll, what I will say is what I'm looking for is this just continued, let, let's be disciplined, let's play giant defense, and then see where it is. And I, yesterday they finally did play they, discipline. They did. They, they, did. they played I just, discipline. I just think at three and six and with with the strength of the Cowboys within the division and and just the overall strength of, of the NFC, to get them back in, I, I, they're not, I don't believe they're going to fall so far out of it that it's going to be like you'll be there in December going, you know, when when are we looking at the NFL draft? Uh, it's not going to go that far. But I, I just think they're a little far behind. I just want to see this consistency. Let's give us something to get excited about. I know it's a lot to ask. But oh. can I mention this to you? Yeah. The Giants at three, where are we now? Three, three and six. six. Their best nine-game record since 2016. That's that's incredible. <laughs> but what what I do want to counter with Mike is a couple factors that might mitigate uh, your belief that they won't be able to get back into it. Number one, the NFC is a little top-heavy this year. It is. Now you you can probably surmise that whoever doesn't win the West out of Arizona and the Rams is going to be wild card one, right? Absolutely. I think everybody is sort of taking for granted that Tampa is going to win that NFC South, right? Then you have teams like Carolina and Atlanta and the Saints who are not bad teams, but they're not good teams. Right. Those are the teams that the Giants may be fighting for the wild card. Now you look at it. Yeah, we lost to Atlanta, but we beat the Saints and we beat 
Carolina. Right. So we finish with the same record as either of those two teams. We get it. They're out. Then you have to look at two more things. Number one, um, 17-game schedule. Right. Number two, three wild cards this year. Those are all great points. And and like we said, we hope that, that your mode of thinking and that extra game and what we're talking about is huge. You can't discount, you mentioned the Saints, who to me are the best of that group. Losing Jameis Winston, really, really tough. I yeah. mean, that 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 was a killer. Who would have ever thought that Jameis Winston was going to be, you know, someone you said, you can't overcome that. Uh, Trevor Simeon played a very, very strong game. Uh, I was actually down in Georgia yesterday um, uh, on a trip with my wife, and, and it, was, it was all Falcon Saints all over the place. And, and Simeon kept them going. Uh, th- they're a strong team, but that was a, a brutal loss for them. And as you mentioned, Giants already have one in their pocket against them. Yeah. Our buddy Russ is commenting he wants the Giants to win the next two out of three, okay. and then he'll get excited. But the other thing I wanted to mention to you, Mike, and again, maybe I'm fooling myself. If I am, I am. But the Giants' schedule gets a lot easier in the second half. Yes. We have to play the Dolphins this year. I don't care what else happens. <laughs> We're beating the Dolphins this year. Amen. We have to play Philly twice. Philly is something is certainly they're an anomaly. So some games tremendous, other games you're like, who is this team? Yeah, I mean, we still have to play Washington in our building. We still have to play Dallas in our building. The only two tough games I'm really looking at um, in the second half that I say, ah, we're gonna have a tough time with those games. Obviously, after the bye week, we get Tampa on a Monday night, so that's gonna be tough. And that game is in Tampa, right? Um, then. And, and we're terrible on Monday night. Can we be honest? But true, but actually have not played poorly in Tampa recently. They, no, that Daniel is true. Jones had his best game as a pro in Tampa. That is true. The other um, the other game down the stretch is going to be tough. We still have to play the the Chargers, right. and that, that's going to be tough. But again, some of these easy games, you get you get the Dolphins, you get Philly twice, you get Washington in your building, and Dallas. I still think we owe Dallas one. And if they if Dallas plays like they did yesterday, I'll tell you, blown out of a cannon they, by they, the Browns. They look they Dallas looked like they never showed up yesterday, and and it was for them having Dak Prescott play was important and play a whole game, and that's kind of the spin that's going on in Dallas right now. Well, we just wanted him to to be healthy and play the whole game, which he did, but it it looked like the JV against the varsity yesterday against a Broncos team that really was kind of treading water. And Teddy Bridgewater went in there, looked like the second coming of John Elway. Um, I don't want Jet fans to get annoyed with us, no, we got Lenny. I hope Lenny's still watching because we got to talk Jets. Lenny, Lenny if you're took out off. There, He's like, you're not me. talking Jets. You're not talking Yankees. Hit I'm out of here. Lenny. Come on. Um, so Jets, yes. um, big deal over that great uh, start by Mike White okay. against – Cincinnati. He played great that day. Absolutely. Terrific. Um, but then that second start, that 45-30 Thursday night game, and honestly, Mike, can we be honest? It was not that close. No, no, it was not. Um, so I'm going to ask you um, for the Jet game against Buffalo right. uh, this coming Sunday. Should Mike White stay on the center or should he go? That's a great question. Great question, along with some great audio right there. <laughs> wow, well, we're going right from the clash to jeopardy. We, oh, by the way, Michael Anthony, on one year target. ago today, Alex Trebek oh, passed away. 
one year ago today. Oh, okay. And you know I know that because Jeopardy is very near and dear to me. So go ahead, Mike. I'm okay. sorry. No, listen, that's that's great. Great audio. And, and we got the video right here. Mike White, should he start? Yes, he should. He should start until until Zach Wilson is 1000 percent healthy and ready to go. And I, I don't think it hurts also to have Zach on the bench and watch other quarterbacks, including Josh Johnson, who off the scrap heap operate their offense. And Johnson did some nice things really in did. that indie game. Now Absolutely. they were out of it at that right. point, but you're moving the ball and you're scoring nonetheless. Sure. So, so is it a matter of, and I look, I was talking to somebody the other day about Mike white is Mike white, somebody, a one timer who comes in or is he almost like, or is he a Kurt Warner who you never, you know, came in out of nowhere and is now becomes a star. It's so difficult. It's a nice problem to have for the Jets if they're winning, of course, but they're not winning these games. Uh, with the exception of the, the Bengal game, uh, which was, I think, shocked the world. It's a signature win. It's a, it's, it, it's oh, a good win over a good team. Mo most definitely. And and nobody expected that. Uh, you know, Mike White, give him give him as much time as, as, as you can. And then when when – you know the 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 rookie prodigy is ready. Bring him back, but why not? You have nothing to lose right now with Mike White. Uh, hopefully, the Jet defense can keep it to a point where, if they're scoring these points, it, it's not a shootout each week. What are you going to say to the guy who makes the counter argument back to you that if you don't start Zach Wilson, you are taking valuable games off of it? Um, his first seasons where he's inexpensive for the franchise. It, it's a great argument as long as as the man is healthy 100%. There's no reason to throw him back out there if if his knee is not, you know, crystal clear and ready to go. Otherwise, what was everybody clamoring for before? A veteran presence in the locker room. They go out and, and trade a six-round draft choice for Joe Flacco. And and in in the the press conference yeah, I mean, announcing Flacco. this trade, they <laughs> They said, it, it, you know, he might start a game. They were, so they, they were literally trading a six-round draft for one potential start, and Flacco's not even – he's not even going to see the field. He's like number four on the depth uh, chart right now. I, I mean, he's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. I think I'm going to see snaps before he does. <laughs> but, you know, what? Um, what's interesting, though, Mike, is we look at the Jets' schedule after Buffalo. Yeah. They have Miami, and then they have Houston. So if I'm Zach Wilson and I'm watching Mike White play, I'm saying to myself, Coach, get me in there. I got to get a couple of these wins underneath my belt here. Wins, yes, but but just play well. Just play well. So, you know, <laughs> there's there's no doubt Zach Wilson is the he is the future of the New York Jets. They they didn't trade up and and do everything and get rid of Sam Darnold, which now it looks like a solid move as he's come down to to earth, uh, you know, in, down in Carolina. Uh, if Mike White is is the next is the second coming, fantastic. You trade him down the line. It's a like I said, it's a great problem to have. But I, I can't see Zach Wilson being the next Josh Rosen where you're a first round draft choice and within two years you're off the team. All right, folks. We've got Chris Caputo waiting in the wings to little, um little Met Baseball. Yeah, we're gonna hot talk stove. some Met Baseball, some hot stove Met Baseball right after the break. We'll be back in just 30 seconds here on Spot on Sports. Hi, my name is Dave Crow. 
proprietor of Belfast Gastro Pub in beautiful downtown Lindenhurst. We are the heartbeat of the village, serving exceptional dishes throughout the day, created by our executive chef, James Tomlinson. Whether it's to dine in our purpose-built outdoor dining area that seats 60 persons, or to enjoy a pint or a cocktail at our 40-foot mahogany bar, we also have a private catering room that can accommodate up to 60 guests. Love stories begin at Belfast. Now back to Spot On Sports with Mike Trezza and Mike Godone. Welcome back, everyone, to Spot On Sports. Mike Trezza, the coach, Mike Godone, and joining us on Zoom right now to talk about the Mets is our Mets beat reporter, a member of the Seven Line Army, Caputo. Chris Caputo. Chris, how are you? Hey, guys, hope you can hear me all right. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%, pal. You sound great. Uh, so, Chris, I don't know if you remember the game show, um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Okay. This game is Who Wants to Be the Mets GM? And apparently the answer to that question is nobody. What's going on, Chris? Who wants to work for a $2.57 billion baseball team owner who tweets – too much about his players in a negative connotation, right? There you go. So, and I think uh, we've, we've now gone through uh, 12 people that have said no to the Mets. Yeah, and, and it's funny, Chris, because, all right, Theo doesn't want the job. I can live with that. But now we're targeting people from really small markets, Milwaukee, St. Louis, all these people. And, and, and it's not just that they don't want the job. They don't even want to be interviewed for the job. I mean – I'm I'm flabbergasted, I have to tell you. And I think a lot of it stems from you have a guy with a lot of money and you want to make sure that you're working for an organization that's actually doing the right thing. And some of it has to do with uh, working for, you know, Steve Cohen and what he's tweeting out. And you guys know that the other half has to do with the 74-year-old man who just won't leave the picture. And did you know that the GM meeting started today in Carlsbad, California, and guess who is the acting GM of the New York Mets? Sandy Randy Alderson. And it's just crazy that he's the guy who wants to go off into the sunset. He wants to sit back, but yet he has to be the guy. And, he, you know, I understand last year the Mets um, – actually, I think it's almost a year to the date that Cohen became the Mets, and there was a lot of paperwork behind it. So it took another month until they got their GM position. And you know that guy lasted one month until they found out he was tweeting people in the Chicago Cubs organization. Oh my! The next guy lasted uh, eleven months, but he really only lasted about six months till he got pulled over for DWI. And now we're looking at Sandy and his son running the club. Yeah. So um, if you take the GM job, you're going to have an Alderson on top of you, and then you're going to have an Alderson underneath you um you're gonna you're gonna basically be the meat in an alderson sandwich if you will yeah and you're the president of baseball operations are you the gm are you uh someone just in holding and you know i know you guys are going to ask what do i think um i really don't know at this point when you've gone through 12 people and everybody keeps saying no and the only guy who basically wanted the job was brian sabian who probably could have came along with bruce bochi as a package deal oh. Um, 
the Mets turned them down. And, and, and why? I think it's a power thing. A lot of people who work for Cohen say that he's, he's a tough person to work for, that once you make a bad trade, he's going to come after you. So I think that kind of falls behind it. People don't want to work, you know, with Alderson kind of looking on, on his side. You know, I've kind of heard some good things about Alderson's son rising in the ranks. But in the same sense, you kind of need a clean slate. We've talked about this many times. Um, I really think that the longer this goes on, the more of a chance that the Mets just take somebody within and just keep that person for a year but you guys know that the question after that then becomes the manager, and you can't get the manager until you get the general manager. Absolutely. You know, Chris, it, it's a weird business model, if anything. You look at Steve Cohen. I mean, obviously, he's he's new to being a baseball owner. Um, you know, how much he actually knows about the game or, or how long he was studying or, you know, was Sandy Alderson in his year for you? Who knows? Uh, but, but you're 100% correct. You have to, in order to get the field – general out there you have to get everything above it set properly it just doesn't seem uh, a smart business deal for me to have someone uh directly under who might be there might not like you said what's his job um it almost uh would make more sense as chili davis who chimed in this week clean house <laughs> clean house and i'm not saying sandy olderson is a bad guy but as as somebody who would be uh you know, working for the Mets organization, as you said before, let's let's just, you know, start from the top down now. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where it, it lands right now is when you keep getting turned down by so many people, how are you going to go out in the free agency and, and, and start asking, hey, do you want to come play for us? Um, you know, as I said last show to you, Mike. Uh, are we having a little little technical difficulty mm -hmm. here for a second? Oh, sorry, I lost you for a second. My back. That's okay. You're back. Yep. Um, I, as I told you last time, I think the collective bargaining agreement um, is not going to kick in right away. So I think the Mets are going to have some time to get some free agents. But you got to get things settled before you try and, you know, hey, we're, we're back in business. It's January 1st. And who are we going to go get? And I don't think they're settled right now. And, you know, we could sit here and, and throw names out all we want. But as of right now, the Mets have no one. And I think that hurts guys like Carlos Correa and guys who are looking for a, a place to go. So let's talk about a couple of the guys that may be back. I mean, you and I talked about it last time, Chris, when you were in the studio. Um, we talked about Conforto and we talked about Syndergaard as being two of the guys that were probably going to get qualifying offers. Those qualifying offers, from what I understand, now are on the table how do you think those two situations shake out? I still stick to my guns that Conforto goes and Syndergaard actually accepts it. Um, but I could see the Mets actually not using the, um, you know, working something out with Syndergaard to go even beyond that. So that qualifying offer then would kind of buy them the time then to negotiate with him. Yeah, and um, you know, getting Syndergaard for eighteen million dollars—I don't know if it's necessarily a great move because you know he really hasn't pitched in two years, and we saw what happened with um, you know Stroman kind of was was okay, but Walker this year was was horrible after the All Star break. So I think once the innings kick in, uh, Syndergaard after you know nine ten starts might be damaged goods by the end of the year. I wanted to. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead, that's Mike. fine. I was just going to say, going forward with him, Chris, 
Syndergaard, if you're going to extend him, uh, would have to be a, a, a hugely incentive-laden deal, you would think, based on all sorts of markers him meeting, correct? Yeah, I would say so. I think um, he's he's happy to stay in New York, so he's not looking for that much. But I think Conforto, for some reason, feels like he's... Yeah, we have just keep losing you there, Chris. Sorry. More- you're good. You're okay. Now you're um, back. I think I think Conforto. I think I think what, needs- Yeah, we're just, we just we we just keep losing Chris. I think if I if I'm on the same wavelength as you, I think what you were alluding to was that Conforto thinks either he was done wrong by the Mets or just needs to change the scenery. Yes, I think it's. I think both people think the same way. I think it's time to move on, and uh, the Mets have to get a new outfield. I think they have to really look to see if they can maybe get two or three new guys. Think about what the Braves did this year. They got four new outfielders at the All-Star break. Unbelievable. And won themselves a World Series. So, uh, Chris, because you're breaking up, I'm, I'm just going to give you one more, okay? Let's assume that in fairly short order, we can get a GM in place. Can you give me just two or three names um, on who you would like to see? Who you, Chris Conforto, Seven Line <laughs> Army guy, uh, spot on sports Met reporter, would like a, to that see? That was a Freudian slip right there with Chris Con- Conforto. Oh, did I say that again? Ah, I knew <laughs> I was going right. to do that. No, you're good. Um, who you would like to see get an interview for manager? Uh, I'll give you a couple, and it sounds strange, but I like um, Joe McEwing, Carlos Beltran, and um, either Bruce Bochy or uh, Buck Showalter for a year. All right. Solid, All right. solid names. I'd you, you would really – do you think that the public would accept Beltran coming back? Um, I, I think the other two smart. guys that got hammered by this um, worked their way back. You know, I yeah. you know Cora worked his way back. But I don't think that Beltran has the pedigree. He, he hasn't done it before. But at this point, everything's such a comedy that why wouldn't you bring back Beltran and see how it works? Oh, absolutely. All right, Chris, listen, thanks a lot. Great job as always. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks and um, hopefully, hopefully by then we have something in place here, right? Yeah. Well, I got to give my plug. I am excited that even though their arrival to the Mets that the Braves did win the world series and I got to see, yes. uh, You know, Ian Anderson pitch five, no hit innings and get pulled from the game. If you guys want to talk about that, talk about analytics, (laughs) killing entertainment. You were not happy that that evening. That sums up all the. What are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, analytics and entertainment do not go hand in hand. Great well, point. I think you ought to take a bow for coaching that kid. But um, uh, great job by you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, guys. Enjoy. Thanks. Take Chris. Care. Be well, buddy. All right. Got some more people commenting us, folks. Uh, we're going to dig into. Uh, We're going to dig into basketball, but if you have a comment to react to what Chris just said or what Johnny said earlier, uh, what was that last comment, Mike? I couldn't read it. Yeah, we've got a a lot on the table here tonight. 
Uh, Beltran already took the Mets for more money. So Mike Robert does not <laughs> want to see uh, Beltran get an interview. All right, Mike. Uh, but let's let's shift gears right now, uh, Coach, and talk some basketball. Uh, Knicks season, Nets season well underway. We'll start with the Knicks. Um, lost to Cleveland. That coming off a really good win a couple nights earlier against the defending champs, Milwaukee. If there's such a thing as a letdown game, I think that was it. Uh, you know, it. we keep using the term with all these teams. It's early chemistry, but that's really true. I mean, last night, uh, Knicks were missing Kemba Walker. Now, Kemba has not exactly been lighting the world on fire here you know, at the that, beginning. Uh, let me stop you there a second. Yeah. He was really good at the beginning. He then was. it seemed like he took a little bit of a step back. Yeah, I, I don't know if, it's some, if he's just physically not right or there's a style – it's very interesting, and and through you know nine ten games here, um, he he's yet to really find his stride. Kudos uh, to Derrick Rose who has found his stride, and then some, almost at points looking like the Derrick Rose of old. But he can he can take the team over when they're both on the floor. Very interesting look. What I've been super impressed with, and I think you would agree with me, is R.J. Barrett. Yes. He's taken the next step as a scorer. 19 a game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hit 30. And, and his while his uh, three-point shooting is never going to be, or at least for the rest of the season, perhaps not where we would like it, you can really see his maturity on the court and his physical maturity as well. But importantly, now you can see what the Knicks would, were thinking with right. drafting him with the number two or number three uh, overall pick, right? Absolutely. Um, but just to get back to the point you were making, Mike, about Kemba Walker and Derrick Rose, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Kemba Walker, 12.7 points a game, three assists a game. Derrick Rose, 12.7 <laughs> points per game, three assists a game. Right. It's so funny because we talked about this last year with the three-point guards yes. that they all had exactly the same stats. Exactly. And if you if you talk to Coach Tom Thibodeau or read anything today that, that he was speaking about, all he cared about was defense. And, of course, that's, that's his calling card. So while they were struggling for offense last year, doesn't seem to be the issue right now. The defense will come along with this – uh, with this group, and it's different assignments. It's a little different kind of uh, thought process out there. So that, you know what, there's arguments as a, as a coach and, and as a former player on a, on you know not much higher level than than high school. We can say, what comes first? Is it offense or defense? Generally, the defense is the thing that will get you out there, and the offense is slower to come. Seems to be almost the opposite right now with the Knicks. With the Knicks, what got me concerned is this. Ricky Rubio, all right, who I had I had been dying for this guy to be in New York. He lit Nick. it up like a Christmas oh, tree okay. last night. Right. Do you know how many points he scored in the previous game? Zero. Wow. Ricky Rubio, you, I, and Mike Anthony over there all scored the same amount of points in that last game. And <laughs> well, he now I feel good about my right? game. Okay. And then he he breaks out for a career high thirty seven points last night. Yeah, it was. I mean, he was I lighting mean, them yeah, up, which it, it just was. It was astounding. Um, you know, you're not going to get too crazy about it, but th- you, you do as the, as we mentioned with the Giants. What's the identity now? Defense. You got to get back to it. Uh, two guys I do want to ask you about on the Knicks, Mike. Um, and I have to I have to be honest about this. I kind of yawned a little bit when they acquired Evan Fournier. Okay, but Evan Fournier. 15 points a game absolutely, and a really, really important second option for that offense. Yes. Great basketball IQ, and now you can see 
his arrival has done what for R.J. Barrett? Made him relax. He doesn't have to score, you know, as the second option all the time. He's a third or a two-way option. So you have Fournier in there, and, and that helps, you know, a tremendous, tremendous amount. So, again, for me, a guy like Fournier, who has been around the block a little bit, brings so much to the team. And the other guy I have to ask you about. You're going to say Obi Toppin? No. I was going to leave Obi to the side. I'm, I'm going to give you a break on that's Obi. Twi- just, that, I think that's a first and second uh, <laughs> reference to those of you who have, who have tuned in to Spot on Sports since last January. Um, but there is a kid that you and I both did fall in love with last year. And Nick fans did. Yeah. All Nick fans did. And you know who, where I'm going with this. Yes. Because now it seems like his role has been, at least for the – time being significantly um diminished and that's emmanuel, emmanuel quickly, quickly. Yeah. how do you give quickly some run mike continue to have him develop when you have both kemba walker and derrick rose now we said walker started strong took a step back um rose has found a little bit of the the fountain of youth right how do you work quickly in to that three-point guard rotation boy that's the million dollar question i I don't know if you can i almost think in, in in kind of a weird way that the knicks are waiting for either rose or walker to be out for some extended period of time and then that's when quickly is going to find his his way again. Um, he's too dynamic, I think, to keep him on the bench. I, you know, it, you could even put him in to really just defensively pick it up now and go from there. But as as the third guard, he's going his minutes. You know, he's at fifteen minutes a game right now, which is. I didn't even think he was playing that much. Yeah, I didn't either. Right. Every time I put it on, he's he's not on he's yeah, not he's, on the floor, Mike. He's not. And and one of the things that I feel has happened with him, maybe just happens to be um when I am catching in the game, which I'm not always. I mean, it's early in the season. I got other well, stuff on the NBA is it, is way too long. I mean, exactly. It's just you know, you know who's who are almost already. But when I do turn it on, it seems like he's he's falling in love with that teardrop floater. Yeah. And He's not hitting that shot often enough to uh, for you, the coach, to continue to give him that shot. Right. Well, anybody that's looking for playing time, what are they going to do? They're going to go back to what they feel most comfortable. And then when that doesn't work, then you really start to press and you start to question yourself. Shooters have to shoot. Playmakers have to make plays. So what is quickly going to do? He's going to go, all right, well, listen, I've had all the success with that type of drive, getting on the free throw line, those kinds of things to try to get involved in the offense and make something happen, you know, to prove he belongs there. It's a really, really tricky thing for him and for the coaching staff. And I just want to remind you, folks, before we transition to the Nets, number one, still plenty of time for you to comment us tonight. Number two, um, just to remind you, we're not only on YouTube and Facebook, obviously. Um, We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and now we are on uh, Channel 115 every Saturday at noon. You can see. Mike Adone's face, which is clearly going to be <laughs> the thrill of your lifetime. Oh. And um, you are way too kind. 
We're going to be on every Saturday at noon. Uh, the great Michael Anthony's doing a tremendous job of uh, editing our file and uploading it to uh, public access. So if you can't catch us now, catch us then. The only thing that comes next is what? Pay-per-view. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but if we do pay-per-view, you and I are going to have to put on gloves and be squaring <laughs> off in the middle of a ring. You're going to make me become a, uh, a Jet fan against the Giants. And, and, and really, I'm going to have to take my... Uh, somewhat dislike for Kyrie Irving even further. So that's our segue into the Brooklyn Nets. An excellent segue. So the Nets, Mike, to start the season were two and three. And everybody said, oh, my gosh, they can't play without Kyrie. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be a disaster. Oh, this is terrible. Um, since then, five in a row, now seven and three, their best start. And I think I heard correctly, um, 20 years or 40 years. Okay, so... Um, Listen, first question we have to get to, and you already let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> um, do the Nets have enough in this rotation with Kevin Durant, with James Harden, with LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Patty Mills? Patty Mills. Do they have enough with those guys, Mike, to get those minutes distributed and say, hey, you know what, Kyrie, you don't want to play this year? get lost. We have enough. We're winning games. Do they have enough? They do. And, and I have to say, I became a much bigger admirer of the Brooklyn Nets when they said to Kyrie, thank you for being on the team. You can be paid for those games that you would be eligible to play out of town. You're not, you know, we're not even going to consider having you on the roster for those games because you're not eligible to play at home. So that that's that's a big-time strong point in, in an otherwise crazy uh, professional sports world. So I will say that because it's you know, we can't even, thank goodness, get into Aaron Rodgers. But to make those kind of correlations w would be a little tough right now. But this is a team taking a stand, so so kudos to them. But to answer your question, yeah, they do. They, they really um, – th these are professional guys. You worry they're a little – long in the tooth, but all LaMarcus Aldridge to me has really added something in that center forward position. Um, he's come back strong playing with juice enthusiasm and, you know, Patty Mills hasn't shot the ball really well, but he can get hot. Blake Griffin. Uh, he's, he's done whatever. Once again, they've asked him to do. And LaMarcus Aldridge, Mike, he's had a couple games in the past week, week and a half. He could not miss. I know. I mean, right now he's averaging 13 a game, five rebounds a game, which, again, not terribly impressive. but You don't certainly need anything more a, than that. Absolutely. Cer certainly making a contribution. And don't forget, you're always going to have KD at somewhere up around 28 points a game, which is where he is right now. Right. Um, and But – playing 35 minutes a game. Now, exactly. you talk about load management. You don't like the term. And I get that you don't like the term. I agree with you. But because I don't want to see um, I, I don't want to see Kevin Durant playing 35 minutes a game. Sure. Um, but uh, I will say this. After the Nets won five in a row, I think the conversation in Kyrie's apartment went something like this. Hey, Doc, um, I really am thinking about getting that shot. Uh, do you have any openings anytime this week? It would not surprise me, although he's taken this stand of uh, there's no way this is going to happen and whatever else. And, and 
again, those of you who have, who have watched our program here or listened to our program for quite a while, my disdain for Kyrie Irving has, has known no boundaries. Um, but I, I will say this. I have to give him some credit for sticking to his guns. I don't agree with him whatsoever. I think it's awful. But uh, it, it really has surprised me that he stayed out this long. But I, I would tend to agree with you that that phone call was made somewhere or there's chatter in his apartment. That phone call's coming, because Mike. If it wasn't made yet. What was the one last thing maybe they were hanging their hopes on was that there was going to be a change come January with the policies in, in the city of New York. The, the mayor-elect has said, uh, no, no, it's, no, no change in policy. Sorry, that's not happening for Kyrie or anybody else. So uh, that, you know, that ship sailed. So KD, 28 points a game, um, 35 minutes a game. Uh, Harden, almost 18 points a game. Nine assists a game, Mike, which, you know, let's be honest. You don't have a guard that's averaging that no. <laughs> those assist numbers. And, so and um, Kyrie uh, and I'm sorry, James Harden doesn't he finally look fit? He does. I, I mean, know that was a big one well, with you big, last and, year, and that was I, I think trying to play his way through it, and even in that you know with injuries and those types of things. Got to give the man credit once again. Here it is. It's crazy, Mike. Mike Winone giving the Brooklyn Nets credit. That's but, nice. Listen, I, I, listen got, I'll take all that you got. It's good for us. It's good for New York basketball. Chris uh, is commenting us. He wants a three-way trade. What's the trade he wants? Ben Simmons and Oladipo, Lowry to the 76ers, and Kyrie to the Heat. Not bad, Chris. If we had a little more time, we could dig into that. But we have to be really disciplined and, and hold it to an hour. But I appreciate the suggestion, Chris. That that that's that's not a crazy trade. It, it solves problems for a couple different teams. Obviously, the Ben Simmons thing we could get into at another time. But for now, folks, we have to say um, that's going to do it for us tonight on Spot on Sports. We got to a lot. We got to Islanders, Mets, Giants, Jets, Knicks, Nets. So uh, I want to thank Johnny Sticks for being back in the fold. Thank you, Chris Caputo, not Chris Conforto. Chris Caputo. <laughs> for hopping on talking some Mets with us. We're here at Format Studio in Deer Park. Our producer engineer is the great Michael Anthony. Our theme music is by Scott Daly. Our logo art is by Valerie Hanatic, the, the Jets, Jets fanatic. fanatic. Our voiceover guys, the amazing A. Archie Snowden. And um, for everyone here at Spot on Sports, including my partner, Mike Adone, this is Mike Trezza thanking you for watching and saying we'll see you next time on Spot on Sports. Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York.